Thank you. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17. Some of you uh, got to watch uh, some football last night, right? So I, I thought of a, a good joke for those of you who are Packers fans, right? What do you call 50 men watching the Super Bowl? The Packers team. Or the Cowboys or whoever you want, but those of you that are Packers fans. So it's been a while for the Packers, you know what I mean? So, All right, um, my, my dog the other day found out what it means to meet a deer too close up. Um, she went after a couple of Mr. Hume's pet deer down there in his yard. I don't think they're actually pet deer, but she went after them, and evidently something happened, and that dog got a deer hoof right in the face, a couple of them evidently. So beware of deer, uh, they'll get you. I never knew that, but Daniel told me, you know, any deer ever attacks you? No, so that's a good thing. All right, um, 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to be looking at a number of verses this morning, but really I'm going to just stay with this story of Elijah. And um, the Lord's been burning my heart about this idea for quite a while. And then uh, Pastor Mitchell, I think, mentioned it in one of his messages, thought that I'm going to preach on today. And I thought he was going to run with it, and then he went a complete different direction. So that's always a good feeling when you you feel that. But uh, we're going to look at 1 Kings 17.1. Let's uh, read the Word of God as it says there in verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And then he, of course, is driven away into the wilderness to hide himself, and that famine takes place for three and a half years. There's uh, no water, no rain, and uh, a great famine takes place because of the people's sin. This is in the northern kingdom. This is... Uh, the King Ahab, the most wicked king in the north, and he's, uh, he's known as the, the most wicked king in all of Israel. Um, he had known some of the ways of God at some point. He was aware of the ways of God. But when he turned his back on God, he went full steam ahead the other direction. <clears throat> he married the wicked Queen Jezebel from up uh, near Tyre or Sidon, and she was an idol-worshipping woman who brought in all kinds of, uh, of abominations into the northern kingdom. And Ahab pushed it and promoted it, and she went along, of course, with it. We find quite a few crazy stories about Ahab and Jezebel. <clears throat> but on the scene here steps a man of God like uh, basically out of the blue, there's no introduction for him, there's no real story of his background other than that he's a Tishbite, and so even that, there's just kind of uh, educated guesses that we can make about where he's from. And uh, he has a word from the Lord, and he says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, and then he makes this great prophecy that there won't be rain for three and a half years. And so I want to look at this idea today of, of what he mentions here in this verse. Before whom I stand, 
Um, I want to look at this idea of standing before the Lord, standing before the Lord. It might seem like kind of a, an odd topic, but I think as we get into this, we'll see a lot of application from this today. So let's pray and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word today. I do pray, God, that you will speak to all of our hearts. I know you've dealt with me about me personally standing before you. And I pray that you convict each one of our hearts today. Lord, there's a need, a great need that we have in our lives to realize the gravity, the seriousness of standing before the Lord. And so please help us today to understand these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Elijah was a Tishbite. He comes from probably the area of Saudi Arabia. Um, He would have grown up in a very, very rugged country. Um, uh, Some articles that I read describe the area as just very rough and rocky terrain. Elijah himself was probably wearing some kind of a camel skin. He's obviously a very bold and very forward straightforward person, and the Lord gave him this word, and he just blurts it out onto the stage here of King Ahab. I don't know exactly how it happened, but he marches up to Ahab, and he just gives it to him straight. You ever, you ever meet people like that? I kind of like it when somebody just tells me, you know, I don't wonder what they're thinking. I don't wonder, you know, it's not kind of ambivalent. What's the word? Uh, ambivalent. I'm thinking the wrong Ambiguous, thank you. Uh, it's not ambiguous. You're not wondering what they're thinking. It's just straightforward. And that's the way Elijah here uh, preaches to uh, Ahab. Not only that, but he has a, a wonderfully short message. Don't get your hopes up. But I, my, my message isn't that short. He just has this simple statement. It's a one-sentence message. As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. What gall to say that, you know, if you just look at it on the surface. Well, Elijah lived in a time when Israel as a nation was very, very wicked. I mentioned Ahab and Jezebel, but that's just the start of it. The nation had completely abandoned any semblance of following God's law. There were many, many believers still in the the nation of Israel. We'll see that later on with the 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. But the prophets of Baal were in their heyday. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal claiming that their God, Baal, was the God of thunder rain and of good crops, the God of fertility. I kind of thought that was pretty comical. God says, you want to see what fertility looks like? I'll show you a famine. And he just rained uh, dust and uh, dryness upon them rather than rain. And so Elijah's declaration challenges the reality of their God and of their faith. If your God is real... If your God is real, he can change my words. But if he's not real, the true God of heaven and his prophecy, the the prophecy he gave to Elijah, is real. And so, of course, I I love the fact that when Elijah finally comes to Mount Carmel and, and he challenges them directly and those prophets of Baal are totally humiliated. Well, and then killed, you know. He puts them to death and gets rid of them. What's the point? 
God removed those false prophets. So Elijah was a man of courage, a man willing to risk his life for the glory and the cause of God. Out of the blue, Ahab is confronted by this rugged prophet in camel's hair coat. Uh, what a contrast that this must have been to the prophets of Baal, who probably were dressed in, in their own robes and their colorful robes, and uh, they're a bunch of liars, and he speaks the bold truth. And we can't be afraid of that. We can't be afraid to speak the truth. And so Elijah here, he stands in the presence of the Lord. So let's talk about a couple of things here as we see in the passage. I want to describe a little bit. And then we'll get into some of our points here. As the Lord God of Israel liveth, some things I found in my study, the word liveth there in the Hebrew, as I understand it, is actually the first word of the sentence. The living God, the living Lord, he lives with us. He's living among us. And of course, we find later on when he's on Mount Carmel that the Lord God is alive and the false God, Baal, is dead and couldn't give them any kind of an answer. But, but he's the living God. Another thing I noticed is the use of these words as the Lord God. And I went through and just marked in my Bible, over and over, Elijah, when he's talking, he doesn't refer to God by just the singular Elohim. He usually refers, almost always refers, to the Lord God. The word Lord, of course, is all caps. That's Jehovah God. And Jehovah God is the living Lord. He's Elijah's Lord as the living Lord God. In other words, what he's literally saying is if God's alive, then you're wrong. If God's alive, then you're going to get a famine come upon you. God is alive, the Lord God. The name Jehovah is the personal name for God. It's the personal name. So here's Elijah saying, the Lord God is my Lord. He's the living Lord. And he's my very own Lord. So as the Lord God, I just, let me, let me point out verse number 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. He's, he repeats that phrase again. Verse number 20. O Lord my God, verse 21, O Lord my God. And then several chapters later, he does that again. And he just keeps bringing out that this is the Jehovah God. This isn't just an unknown theology and a vague concept. This is the true God, the living God of heaven that interacts with me. He's standing in the presence of that Lord. And then I want to also look at the next phrase, before whom I stand. He didn't say before whom I stood, right? Before whom I stood. If I at one time stood in God's presence, it's not like when you go to pray that then you're in God's presence. And then when you leave the prayer closet and you come out of your prayer closet, you've left the presence of God. No, no. He said before whom I stand. In this, in this situation, I don't know exactly where he's at, but he's probably in some kind of a palace. He's probably at Samaria. He's in an important place in uh, the kingdom of Ahab in, in his uh, city there. And he walks in there, and even in that place of adversity, 
He says, I'm standing not in the presence of Ahab. I'm standing in the presence of God. Man, what, a, what an honor. What a thing to think about. All of us, when we stand in God's presence, we're in his living, actual presence. This is Elijah, the greatest prophet to ever live. But he didn't see himself that way. We, we know, you know from later on that in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah was a great man. You might say, well, that was Elijah. But, but this is me. I'm in the New Testament era, and, and I don't really have this, the same power. I can't get that same power of Elijah. Oh, we're wrong there. There's two people in the Bible. I looked this up that I that I found. There's two people in the Bible who the Bible says specifically that we are just like them in our passions and in our in our desires and the things that we go through, our experiences. We're just like them. The two people are Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4, and then it's Elijah in James chapter 5. The Bible says in James 5, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Two people in the Bible say, well, I can't be like that. I'm never going to be like Elijah, so why try? Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a man subject to like passions as we are. So we can be experiencing that great power. Elijah was a man like us. Old Testament men, others, stood in the presence of God also. They, they said so, many of them. Elisha and Solomon and Jeremiah and Samuel. The Bible says all of these men specifically, and there's others, I just wrote down four of them, who stood before the Lord. Again, what were they doing? I'll explain what that means more, but they're standing in God's presence. They came into the presence of the Lord. So there's Elijah. Well, I'm not him. Well, we're, we're subject to like passions as he is. There's the Old Testament men. How about Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15 and 16. Don't turn there. You can write it down. But the Bible says there that we are just like, uh, we've experienced the same experiences that Jesus did. And he went through all of those things. And so he says in verse 16, a wonderful verse, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace and find mercy to help. Grace to help and mercy, mercy to help and grace in time of need, I think it says. So we can enter the throne of God. We can enter the presence of God. And when does that happen? In a prayer closet? At the most, maybe it's at the most down time of our lives only. There we turn to God and we say, Lord, I need mercy and grace to help in time of need. I'm sorry, but I need that every day. Every day I need to enter the throne of grace. And not just in the morning or at night or a time to get away. I believe the passage is just real clear. Let us therefore come boldly. It doesn't put a time limit or, or a time of day or a time of year or anything like that where the high priest, you know, once a year you can enter the presence of God. No. Come boldly yourself regularly throughout the day. Every single one of us can come to the presence of the Lord. As I thought about that, I... I thought of any, any people in the Bible who stood in the presence of a king. And the one, maybe you're thinking like I did, Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah comes into the presence of the king, and he's the cupbearer for the king. 
and, and he had certain expectations upon, upon him. He was expected to show up every day. Couldn't be late. He couldn't miss his appointment. He was expected to be faithful. He was also expected to have a good countenance. Right? He was expected to have a good spirit. When he walked in there with a bad spirit, a bad countenance, the Bible says that immediately he was afraid because the king questioned him on that. You know, when, when we come into the presence of the Lord and we come in saying, Lord, help me. He, he doesn't respond like that heathen king. He right away notices our need and he's there to uplift us and to help us. So there's, there's Nehemiah that was such a good example. He was confident. He was serving. He was careful. And as I mentioned, he was faithful. So a good example here of a person standing in the presence of a great king. And I think in that sense, we can come to, the, to our great king, our great God. You know, young people, if you're going to stand in God's presence, you can't stand there with sin. You can't stand there with a disrespect for the presence of God. You can't stand there with a, a frivolous spirit or a flattery. He, he's not interested. He, he knows he can see straight through you. I remember as a kid many times, my dad, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for my dad. But when you're a kid, you don't really have that respect. You have more of a fear, I guess, you know. I was afraid because my dad could see right through me. My mom was even more so. I mean, she could, they could see straight through me. They knew what I was doing. And uh, now that I'm a parent, it's kind of easy to see that, some, especially when they're young. When they get older, they learn how to put a cover up. You know, they can, see, they can not uh, be quite as visible. But, um, man, when you're a little kid, your parents can see right through anything. Uh-oh, something's wrong, you know. I walk in my office, and I see there's... Yeah, there's a look on their face. I'm like, oh, man, what'd they do this time? Either they broke something, they stole something, uh, or they got demerits in school or whatever, you know. There's something going on. Well, when we stand in God's presence, we can't come into his presence with sin or disrespect, a lackadaisical attitude. We must come with humility and love and purity. So, Here's Elijah, standing in the presence of the Lord. You'll say, well, he had it different than we do today. Look, we always like to do that. All that is is called a sorry old excuse. It was different for him. It's more difficult to serve the Lord today than it was then. Well, we'll, we'll back up here. He's in the land of Israel. Everybody else is hiding all the other Christians are hiding. He's, he's the only one who speaks up for the Lord. <laughs> he's not only around a bunch of coward Christians, but he's also living in a heathen country. He's around a bunch of heathens. And I, as I read this morning, heathens are going to heathe. <laughs> They're going to heathe. They do wicked things. And he's around these heathens. And guess what he did? He stood out. He stood up. He stood first in the presence of the Lord. He stood up. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 through 13, the Bible says this. 
I know Ecclesiastes is written by a man who's backslidden from a viewpoint, but, but think about what he's saying here. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. <laughs> he looks around and he says, all these evil people just keep getting away with it. Their sentence is not executed speedily. I mean, we just wait and wait and they just go, maybe most of their life they seem to get away with it. And they just keep sinning and they get away with it and sentence is not executed. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times and his days get prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked. Man, sometimes when we're living here, we look at this little, little bitty short time spans and we say, oh man, this is terrible. I was thinking maybe you could compare this to a war, you know, and go back to World War II. Remember Japan uh, just on the march and the Philippines fell to the Japanese and all of these little islands are falling. And if you lived anywhere around there, you just said, no way. I mean, this thing's over. They're going to rule the world. But we know the story looking back on it. We know that eventually uh, a greater power than they were got involved in the war and pushed them back and pushed them back. But boy, sometimes we live in our life and we say, well, you know, in this life or in this year or in this little short time period, boy, it sure seems to me like the evil people have it better than we do. You know what? That's the thing about being young. And you haven't seen enough time go by yet. The, the, the same thing could be said when I was a teenager. I remember looking at the young people that I went to school with. And I thought, man, they, they sneak around and they're doing things. We, we had school in the basement, a huge basement of the church. And then upstairs, there was like, the, you know, during the breaks, all the cool people would go up and sit on the benches and talk around and, and act cool and do all these, you know, whatever. And, and I wasn't one of the cool ones. I'd stay downstairs and play ping pong, you know, or whatever. But, but man, I, I remember thinking, boy, they just seem to get away with things. They're, they're, there's no punishment for the evil, for the wicked. They do it a hundred times and they get away with it every time. But it's not true. I wish I could say differently. I wish I, wish I didn't know all the things that I know about their lives now. Uh, their, their life is in shambles. I can't tell you one of them that, that lived that way. Not one of them that's serving the Lord, that's married to their first spouse. They're, they have different families of children. And this is a Christian school. Just a total shambles. I've lived a few years now where I can see these things happen. And, and they don't get away with it. So, standing in the presence of the Lord. Let's talk about three main points here today. First of all, number one, if you're standing in the presence of the Lord, your perspective of the Lord God will be right. Your perspective of God will be right. Jehovah, the God of Israel, is a living God, and I'm in His presence all day long. Man, that's, that's just a sobering thought. He's not just a concept. He's not a theology. That's the problem with sitting in classes. You get to thinking that God is this, 
you know, this concept, this idea, well, he's, he's a trinity, and he is he, he eternal, and you, you can list off all the details about him, but you forget that he's your father and your God, and he's a person who has a relationship with us. Well, I'm, a, I'm afraid a lot of young people have prayed a prayer, and they've said some words because they wanted a free ticket, but they really didn't want to know God. They didn't really feel a a strong sense of conviction of sin and repentance from that sin. They don't know God. They think that it's just a concept. The Lord, He is the God. Isn't that what what happened when the children of Israel were at Mount Carmel and when they finally saw it and they realized that fire fell from the living God and they state these exact words, the Lord, He is the God. That Jehovah is the God, our personal God, the personal name for God. Is God real to you? Is he personally real? Or is he just real to your parents or real to others that you know? We see that the Lord God is directly involved with what's happening on earth. Again, just a few verses from Psalm 33. The Bible says there, the Lord looketh from heaven, Lord, all caps, He looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He's looking. He's interested in this world. He's interested in us. Then he says, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Young people, if you realize God's eye is watching you, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Isn't it great as Elijah is uh, standing before Ahab, he's fearless. He doesn't care what the king's doing. He doesn't care what all the other Israelites are doing. He doesn't care what all the other Tishbites are doing. (laughs) All his family, it doesn't matter. As the Lord God of Israel liveth. Now I know, man, I, I feel bad for Elijah. He got discouraged at one point, remember? Man, he got discouraged Then he got his eyes back on the Lord. When the Lord's focus is your focus, when the Lord's front and center, guess what? It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It really doesn't. Teenagers, it's easy to look around and say, well, there's there's some that are not here anymore. And and that's just, I mean, it's a sad thing. I know they're your friends. But guess what? As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. I'm standing before the Lord God. Does God seem old-fashioned to you? Does God seem like an obsolete, outdated 1990s ladies' hairdo? Right? Man, those hairdos. Oh, man. My sisters. Man, they used to have them big old... Sometimes, I think... We think that God is kind of like that. He's, he, was, he worked in different ways. Now it's just kind of, I mean, we're almost becoming deists in some ways. God just kind of let things go and things are different now. You know, times have changed. No Gen Z, no Generation X. And all. No, no, no. God hasn't changed. God's still the same. <clears throat> Does morality and clean living seem foreign to you? You need a fresh view of God. 
in, uh, that's gained through entering the throne room of grace, standing before God. Here's a good prayer to pray. Psalm 123, 1 and 2. Unto thee lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. What's a maiden doing? She's watching to see if her mistress needs anything. A servant waiting to see if his master needs anything. And so we wait, standing before the Lord, saying, Lord, what what do you need? Anything you need. You you ever helped at a a banquet? Remember the, the, the sustainer's banquet. You get to serve in the sustainer's banquet. If you get to serve the head table at the sustainer's banquet. Wow. I mean, you are, you are elite if you get to do that. And what are you doing? You're waiting on their needs. You're helping whatever they have need of. Uh, you, ever, you ever seen, you know, I guess it'd be in a movie, but you ever seen these kings, you know, and they're sitting on their throne and somebody comes up and the king just kind of slightly winks at them and they start waving their, their big fan thing because the king showed them that they were getting a little warm. I've seen well-trained dogs. My dog's not one of them. <laughs> but I have seen well-trained dogs that literally, unless you have a treat for my dog. If I'm walking around with a treat, man, my dog is wait, waiting and watching, you know, whatever you need. But, but a well-trained dog, man, they, they are just focused on their master. You ever seen that? I love to watch that kind of thing. Man, they're just focused. And when their master makes the slightest move, the dog knows what that motion means, and off they go. Well-trained dogs. Not to compare us to dogs, but, man, can't we be waiting hand and foot on the Lord, standing before the Lord. That idea in Scripture always, in ancient times, it always was referring to a person standing before a king, waiting to meet their every need, waiting to fulfill their every wish. Anything you want, I'll do it. And, and as the, you know, the Bible talks in Proverbs about a, a man that's diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men or average. You, you'll stand before kings if you're diligent. Joseph, a perfect example of that. You couldn't keep him down as he was in Potiphar's house. He was rose to the top in the prison. He rose to the top and eventually got out of there and he's immediately promoted to second in command. He was standing before kings. What what does that mean? Uh, They had their view, their focus was right. Their perspective on who they're standing before. We're standing before the Lord God of Israel. Not only our perspective will be right, but our prayer to the Lord God will be right. Being prayerful about God's will. James chapter 5, if you know the passage, you don't need to turn there, but James chapter 5, there the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. James himself, 
history tells us was known as camel knees. Camel knees. Why was he camel knees? <laughs> Not a, I don't know if I want to be called camel knees. He was called camel knees because he prayed so much. And James, that great prayer warrior, says about Elias, he was like all of us. But boy, was he a prayer warrior. He was a man of prayer. What should we best know Elijah for? To be honest, as I was thinking about this, I always think of Elijah as a man of power, a man of great prophecy, a man who's fearless. But the most impressive thing, I think, as I was looking at it, the most impressive thing is the fact that he was known for praying. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. The man who constantly kneels before God will stand before him all the day long. Right? You'll kneel before God, you'll stand before him all the day long. Let me give you a hint here. Some of us only search for the unknown will of God. God, will you please show me what to do in this event or that event? Will you show me what to do with my life or my next step? You seniors, will you show me what to do next year or next summer? Will you show me? And there's nothing wrong with praying that prayer, but I think we ought to focus more on the known things that God already wants us to pray for. He says, right, our our verse for this year, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. That's something we can pray for and know that it's the will of God. We can pray, Lord, this person needs to be saved. Will you save them? Will you convict them? Boy, when we're doing that, we're praying what we know God already wants us to pray for. We know that God wants us to live a clean life. He wants us to have our thoughts pure. And so we can pray that in a, in, a, in a strong way. Lord, help my thoughts. You want my thoughts to be right. So help me with that. I want to do your will that's already known. Our prayer to the Lord God will be right. Boy, he was moved by faith and prayed that it would not rain. He was moved by faith and prayed that it would rain. And both times his prayer was answered. Elijah was a man of prayer. But thirdly, standing before God is also a matter of purity. It's not just prayer and the right perspective, but it's also purity. Psalm 24, a couple of verses here that I want to draw your attention to. Psalm 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? You know, if you're going to come before God, you have to stand before him on his terms, not on our terms. We don't come to God and say, God, this is what I want to do. I think too many young people, they see a pretty young lady or a uh, handsome. I don't know if they find any of those around here. But uh, they find someone and they say, Lord, you want me to do this, right? Wait a second. Man, you ought to be praying, Lord, please. Please stop me if this isn't your will. I want to do your will first and foremost. I want your plan for my life more than my own plan. Purity. Psalm 24. Who shall ascend? Who shall stand? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Man, when I read that verse, I almost always, I just kind of 
it puts me in my place. I, I think, whoa, I better come to God with, with a real tentative, humble spirit. Lord, what, what do you want from me? James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Whoa, whoa, you say, well, I'm going to draw nigh to God just as I am. Well, no, 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 just as I am, that's a, that's a different concept. He wants us to come to him, but it's a matter of repenting. The next verse, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see this? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to happiness. I'm sorry, not happiness, heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. You know, even in a place like Bible College, even in a place like Fairhaven Christian Academy, there are people who are not careful about their purity. They're not careful about walking into God's presence clean of sin, cleansed hands, and purified hearts. You know, I I believe that when a person takes lightly the things of God, well, that's a big red flag. Oh, that's okay. I mean, we just do it and ask questions later. What's the old saying? Forgiveness is easier to ask than permission. (laughs) We'll just ask forgiveness. Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Man, we live in such a second chance world, don't we? If the policeman stops you, you know, or talks to you, oh, he'll be okay. He'll get over it. Dad will get over it. Mom will get over it. The preacher will get over it. Man, they just need to calm down. We, We treat God the same way. Oh, God, he'll understand. He knoweth that I'm but dust after all. Man, we just, all these excuses instead of cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts. You know, I've never seen a really good Christian write off another Christian as being too pious. It's always the backslidden Christian who writes other other Christians off and says, you're just too pious, man, y'all need to calm down. Man, if you're careful, if you're serious about serving the Lord, you're thankful for others who are the same way. It's not overreacting to clean up your life, remove some things, maybe to take some friends out of your life. I I, I can't be a friend to that person. They're not helping me. Why? Because my first reaction, my first uh, focus is on being close to God. Is your purity right? I think we're all a little bit this way. Uh, we like to think of famous people that we've met. You know, I've heard somebody say, I have shaken Donald Trump's hand. And I say, whoa, whoa, wow. And, you know, all of us were impressed by that. Or, or, or a famous place that we've gone to, right? Man, I have, I have been in the White House Not when Bill Clinton was the president. I was in the White House when George W. Bush was the president. And that was actually me. And so we brag on ourselves and we say, man, I'm important because I'm connected to this famous person. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, the most famous people I've ever shaken hands with, one was, uh, you know, Bill Wennington. Most of you have no idea who that was. Maybe Bill Wennington was a Chicago Bull with Michael Jordan. And I got to shake his hand, and Edmund was with me when he was a little... He don't even remember it, probably. Um, but he was a little kid. I mean, Bill Weddington's a seven-foot Canadian guy, and uh, we got to shake his hand. 
we, we like to think of ourselves as pretty important because we got to meet somebody that's pretty important. I mean, I've shaken hands with some congressmen and congresswomen, and that made me feel real special. <laughs> One time when I was a kid, we worked, my dad got a job in this little country town in Missouri, and uh, we, were, we were doing some remodeling in his kitchen. And uh, I don't remember the guy's name. I can still picture him. But we're, we're talking away with him. And real sharp, nice guy. But just a nice little house in an absolute hick town. Uh, Ewing, Missouri. And he starts to tell us. And your dad said, you know, well, what, do you, what, did, what did you do when you were younger? He's an older fella. And he said, well, I, I worked secret service. We're like, oh, really? Like, where at? He said, well, you know, in, in the White House. And we, really? Well, he said, oh, yeah. Um, you know, as we ask more questions, we find out he's the secret serv- former Secret Service for Ronald Reagan. And he met him multiple times, many times. And we would say, wow, what was that like? You know, we're asking all these questions, you know. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something to be in the presence of a great man like Ronald Reagan? Wow. Now, you know where I'm going with this. We stand in the presence of a, God, of a person, not just who wouldn't notice us. If I walk in the White House and, you know, Trump is standing there, he's going to say hi to me like he says hi to thousands of people every day. I'm a nobody to him other than a voter. But we stand in the presence of the Lord day by day, and he doesn't just treat us as somebody he's, you know, come on, I got to move on. He, he notices us, and he sees us, and he cares for us, and we're standing in his presence. And Elijah says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, I stand in God's presence. It gives me boldness. It makes me fearless. I'm not afraid of what the king says. I'm not afraid of what society says. I'm not afraid of what my friends say. I'm not afraid of anything else. I stand here because I'm in the presence of God. Now, I was in the presence of God this morning. I am living right now in the presence of God. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? That's not something that just happens. It's not just something, well, someday I'll happen to be there at that situation, in that position. Oh, no, you won't. If you don't actively step into God's presence like Hebrews 4, uh, 4 verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly into the, unto the throne of grace. Walk in there, spend time with him, stay with him, stand in his presence. Isn't that something? I just love the idea. I, right now, I'm in the presence of God. That puts pressure on me, Yes. That says there's things I can't have in my life. It's a privilege to be that way. That says I get to, get to experience things that others don't. That's a privilege. I don't see it as a response, as a heavy weight on my shoulders. I mean, I always have to be this way because he's always watching. You know, like some orphan who has the, the headmaster always standing over them. That's not God. It's a privilege to stand in his presence. Are you there? And if you're not, why not?